This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. J.P. Shadrick with NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks and Jaguars.com senior writer John Osier. The Jaguars have a new special teams coordinator. We'll get to that coming up. Organized team activities continue for the second week. How about some overreactions or just reactions to week one and the one practice we got to see last week? And we'll hear from a couple of offensive linemen, or we have heard from them. We will review what they had to say last week. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us that five-star rating. Bucky, how are you, buddy? What's up? Man, it's good. The JP is good. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We've got a couple weeks before the mandatory mini camp get a chance to get out and feel and see what everyone is doing get to put it in practice uh the jaguars are actually having a mini camp while some are not i think it's a good thing that we are on track i just can't wait to see what it looks like this is the nitty-gritty john apparently we're getting down to the nitty-gritty according to bucky i think it's the nitty i don't know that it's the gritty yet <laughs> i mean uh, it, but it, it's uh it's interesting i mean it, it, it we've been on the field for what an hour or so during rookie camp jp you and i were out at the end of phase two and then an hour and a half in, in phase phase three, we have a few observations. And even if you were out there every day, they would still be sketchy observations because it, there's not much to observe in the offensive line, the defensive line. You can observe uh, past routes, past coverage, not much else, but uh, we'll do some observing. It's not time yet. You'll cue us up and we'll observe. We we will observe right. when we are allowed to observe, yes, and we will review those observations coming up in just a little bit. Let's get to the big news from Tuesday, though. The Jaguars announced that they had hired a special teams coordinator, Nick Sorensen, replacing Brian Schneider, who stepped away last week. Now, Sorensen was a secondary coach and the nickel specialist with the Seahawks, and he joined the Seahawks back in 2013 as a special teams assistant, so... He was kind of working alongside and with Schneider some of those years there. Played 10 years as a safety in the NFL, four seasons in Jacksonville from 03 to 06. Special teams captain here. He was a quarterback going into college at Virginia Tech. Started his career quarterback, transitioned to defense, came back to quarterback in 98 for four games to back up a couple of injured players. And then 99, he went back to defense full-time because Mike Vick came out of his red shirt year, and guess what? He was going to be the starting quarterback. That's a long time ago. But Sorensen's, and we talked about this last week, would they hire outside? Would they hire within? They got somebody familiar with what Schneider was uh, going to do, it felt like. Yeah, I actually like this. I think it's a very, very smart move because now some of the things that you've talked about, you don't have to change and radically overhaul. Obviously, Sorensen worked hand-in-hand with Schneider when they were up in Seattle, and regardless of whether he had a special teams assistant title, if he was just dealing with the DBs, everybody is a part of the special teams period when you get together. And so he knows it. He can call it out. He can do it. And I think the fact that he played in Jacksonville is an added bonus. So I like the hire. I can't wait to see what it looks like. It makes sense for the reasons Bucky said. And, and then it's uh, it's also a case, as we talked about last week, Urban Meyer has always been very upfront that he takes a big hand in special teams. He ha- He has great interest in it. So I would guess that he has a good working knowledge of what Schneider was bringing and he will be able to 
have conversations, help with the transition for Sorensen back into it. So I don't think anything's really seamless in this, but this is probably as seamless as it can be. Happens in June. Uh, I don't think you'll see much of a impact on the field uh, from this transition and, you know, meaning a negative impact. I don't think this will feel clunky at all. I have a question for the former player, John, if I may. That's not me. That's not me. So go ahead. (laughs) So, Bucky, you know, we always talk about terminology on offense and defense, right? New coordinator on offense. Mm -hmm. You might have a totally new way to talk about it. Defense, we know that's the case, too. Is that that way on special teams? I mean, how much terminology is there for the just the the few units that are out there? Yeah, I mean, there's some terminology that, I mean, now it's a natural transition because it would be the same. But more from a technique standpoint, um, when you've been around somebody for so long, you talk about Sorensen being around since 2013 and the amount of years that he spent with Snyder, he can teach the same techniques, the same language, everything will be the same. And so ultimately, I think if you're Urban Meyer, you want to do everything for the players. You have the players in mind. How can I make this transition easy for the players? Well, the easiest way to do it is to bring someone who knows exactly um, the system that we're putting in and can continue to talk about it, uh, much like Snyder was able to talk about it for a few months. Well, Bucky, this guy sounds like I was not around Nick when he was here, but he sounds like your quintessential path to being a special teams coordinator, meaning a, a varied background was on both sides of the ball, played it made his living in the NFL because he valued it. This could be the start of him being a special teams only guy. He certainly will here, but meaning for his career. Uh, And this is cart way before the horse. But lately you've seen head coaches come out of the special teams ranks because of the organizational ability and and because they have to see the big picture of things. And uh, considering his background, he certainly has a – understanding of all three phases of the game. So who knows? Maybe we're looking at head coach someday, but. You know, John, it's funny that you, you bring that part up because I'm a big believer that special teams guys might be the most qualified to be the head coach. Uh, they're the only coach that works with all three phases of the game. They also work with coaches from both sides of the ball. They're also responsible for managing the game because you think about the decision they have to make hey, how do we kick it? When do we kick it? Do we onside here? Is this in range to kick a field goal? It is a great training ground for a head coach. We've seen John Harbaugh have success doing it. I want to say maybe uh, George Allen way, way, way back in the day was a guy that was a former special teams coach that was able to do it. Maybe even Marv Levy. I can't remember. I think Marv mm-hmm. had a he special was. teams yeah. background. Marv was too. Um, and so when you think about just the management, the managing of personnel and situations, special teams, coordinators have to do a lot and they're also the only coach outside of the head coach that talks to everybody in the building when it comes to personnel because the intermingling of all those teams they stand in front of the team and so they know more than a lot of guys on either side of the ball when it comes to personnel and how to deploy personnel because they have to convince a bunch of guys on offense to run down the field on punts and kickoffs and go make tackles when that wasn't necessarily what they signed up for when they started playing this game long ago. And they also, JP, deal with more adversity, meaning the first thing that happens when injuries occur is guys get pulled off special teams to have to go play offense and defense. So 
special teams coaches probably go through as much turnover in their units as any coach on the staff for that reason. Yeah, and that could be in-game and, and all of that. I mean, that's a lot a lot of change in week-to-week and the roster churn and everything that happens. Yeah, they uh, never have teams. their same 11 no. going all the way through. No, very, very – no, actually never. I would say probably never that would happen. This is the Huddle Up Podcast, J.P. Shadrick, John Osier. And Bucky Brooks and single game tickets are on sale now. Visit Jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. A team of representatives is ready to help you get back in the bank in 2021. So week two of organized team activities is underway. One week in the book last week, but only one practice open to media. But that one day we were out there, all 90 players were here. You know, the Bucks. Yes, they won the Super Bowl. They have Tom Brady. They have about 40 players in attendance, and Brady's doing his thing. We mentioned last week the Browns are having or have had some issues getting some players to attend. Well, all 90 are here. That's a good start. But it also feels like it's the uh, the overreaction period because they are still in shorts and jerseys and helmets, yes. Anything Lawrence did or didn't do, especially in the red zone, I think was hyped up a lot because it was the first time to really see him with the veterans. A tight end that shall remain nameless doing anything was news. And the defense looking bigger. You know, you can see the size and all that, but you are not really see much physicality interior yet. That's just kind of where we are, Bucky. It's that part of the offseason where you don't see a lot, but what you see, you, you overhype a little bit. Well, hold on, JP. <laughs> ben Ellison looked fine. I'll say his name. Ben Ellison looked fine the other day. He draws a crowd. He does does draw a crowd. JP, you you are right about this. And because we're so starved for content and conversation stuff that we do tend to overrate OTAs and workouts during this part of the year. Guys that flash in T-shirts and shirts and shorts, uh, sometimes it doesn't translate when we get into training camp. But what you would like to see in these moments, you want to see guys get better and better each day. And as it relates to Trevor Lawrence, you want to see Trevor show a comprehension of the playbook. Can you look at him when you watch him and understand where he's going with the ball and why he's going there? Does he appear to have a feel where he's getting to his second and third read and the concept? And you only know that by being able to watch him, watch his head, watch his feet. Are they, do they appear to be in sync with one another? Because if they are, that means he's definitely going through the progressions and he's not harried. Some of the conversations that we're hearing about him, the red zone woes, the issues, the inconsistencies, is because what Trevor has to learn how to do early, things happen so much quicker in the red zone and the pros than in college. And the windows are tighter, and it requires more anticipation as opposed to, oh, I see it, then throw it. And so it's that, I don't know, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of jumping out of the plane without a parachute a little bit. He has to kind of let it go and trust that his receiver is going to um, make the plays. And in college, it's rare that you're having to make those kinds of throws where you're saying, hey, I'm putting it out there and my guy's going to go get it. You typically don't have those windows that are that tight in college. He appeared, and it's hard to know if he's making the right reads or not if you're not the one making the calls. But it appeared last week, JP, that he was making the right reads. Uh, The ball just wasn't going – where he wanted to go for exactly the reasons that Bucky uh, said. It's also important to know, JP, as you know, we're talking about one day and we didn't see the other two days. 
and we didn't see today or uh, I mean, we didn't see Tuesday. Right. So we're dealing with one out of four practices. To me, I would have been stunned had he come out of the box looking great in the red zone because he's being asked to do, as Bucky said, a lot of things he never had to do in college. Uh, I didn't see anything on Thursday that made me worried about Trevor Lawrence in that regard. I remember when I was covering the Colts, probably 06 or 07. I forget which year it was, but it was eight or nine years into Peyton's career. And they were having an unbelievably good year in the red zone offensively, 65, 70%. I mean, something insane. And we were talking to him. The media was about that. And he made the point of going back and saying, look, red zone is the, is the law degree of quarterbacking, the master's degree, if you will. That's what you get when you've got everybody on offense in sync. And at the time, this was a team that had Reggie Wayne in his seventh year. You had Dallas Clark in his fourth. You had all the guys that made that team great had been playing together for a long, long time. And he said, look, this doesn't come around from a month of practice. This is, you know, this is the high end stuff. This is football 404 compared to football 101. I don't expect the Jags to be great in the red zone this year first. I, you know, it's going to take a while. This is the last thing a quarterback gets. This is not the first thing a quarterback gets. John, I, I agree. And the, the red area is so critical. So many bodies in a condensed area that you not only have to throw with touch timing and anticipation, you have to be deadly accurate when it comes to fitting the ball in those tight spaces. And, and so timing is the key there, Buck. The timing you, is everything. Timing is yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and, and so the chemistry that you allude to when you talk about Reggie Wayne uh, and Marvin Harrison and those guys, Thorman Faden, that is the chemistry and the rapport that Trevor Lawrence will have to develop with his receivers on the outside, Marvin Jones, uh, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault. Those guys have to be in sync from the jump. And so it just takes reps and we can't rush the process when it comes to those guys being on the same page, but it's something that we have to keep an eye on. I've got an easy answer for all this, by the way. Just score uh-huh. from the 21-yard line and out every time. Take Don't it. even worry about getting in the red zone. Yeah, just take your shot. Take your shot. High red zone. Take your shot. Put it in the end zone. That's right. Throw it in the end zone and then you score from 70 yards. Okay. Explosive plays. They didn't have enough of those. Well, explode into the end zone from 70. How about that? <laughs> and don't even worry this about is the an area. Zone. This is an area, too, just to give, you know, it won't solve anything because fans will still be upset when it doesn't work in the red zone. This is an area that often you'll be really good one week and then it'll sort of have hiccups. And you'll be good for a couple of weeks. You don't automatically get it fixed right away because what's working against one defense in the red zone, it's going to get studied. It's going to be it's going to be a curve that sort of has some hiccups and downside. It's not a straight upward curve because it's hard because 11 people in a 30 yard space is more than 11 people in an 80 yard space. It's just harder because there's not as many gaps in the defense. It's basic math or geometry or calculus or something <laughs> so one of those it's something basic because i guess calculus isn't so basic so hey, hey whatever whatever it is man like that that good old gator education or whatever that is like yeah I, whatever 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 kind of math that hey. you had to take early on in college yeah we'll we'll call it that john did you just do the gator chomp was that what that I was i did you're damn right i did oh. you're damn right i did oh my gosh gator chomp Man, wow, my man, my man, JR. I, did, I didn't get turned down by Chapel Hill because I didn't apply. 
<laughs> but I would have. The Huddle Up podcast rolls along. Another uh, idea from OTAs last week that we got was how big the defense is. And it's something we talked about before, right? You know, on paper, they're going to walk off the bus and they're going to look the part. They're going to be big, massive human beings in a lot of these places, especially on the defensive line. You have tall corners now walking all across the defense, it feels like. So, you know, you can't, I don't, right now, John, you're not going to be able to tell a lot on the interior of how they're going to play against the run and all that stuff. But okay, they're stouter, it feels like. Start with that. And then the corners have the height and the length to um, to play. That's what they wanted. That was the whole idea of this thing, I think. You watch these things this time of year because you're out there and you want to be able to say something. I watched uh, Tufele. I watched Malcolm Brown. They look really quick when they're uh, rushing against one of those big uh, tackling dummies or, or whatever you call it, that, you know, the blue thing, as, as I call it. Uh, so <laughs> they certainly look quick. Uh, they look like they can move for their weight. Roy Robinson Harrison, I mean, uh, Roy Robinson Harris looks very big. They look like they will be stouter. They have, it seems, more front end numbers at those spots. Last year, because of COVID, when Al Woods and uh, Rodney Gunter, not because of uh, COVID, when they lost those guys, all of a sudden they were perilously thin. They don't seem perilously thin right now. So that was a thing to see that you certainly noticed they will look better walking into a game than they did last year up front. And uh, on some level, that matters because you got to be stout to stop the run. So I, I was encouraged by that. And I was, I was always encouraged, I was also encouraged, JP, by what you saw. They look quicker on the front seven defensively. They look more athletic. They look like they have better athletes on the front seven than they did this time a year ago. So that's certainly not a bad thing. They wanted to get that done in the offseason. It feels like they did that. Yeah, John, I, I think some, some basic observations when you think about Urban, you think about a success that he had at the collegiate level, particularly at Florida and then at Ohio State. Bigger, faster, stronger was the calling card on defense. Big guys up front, particularly at defensive tackle, to clog up the middle, make the ball run to the sideline where you got the speed to chase it down. Explosive pass rushers, first step quickness so they can get and harass the quarterback, quicken the clock in the quarterback's head. You want these long, lengthy cornerbacks that can walk up, go nose to nose, and stymie wide receivers in their release. I just think he's following the same blueprint that has been very successful for him at every level. Um, don't expect him to reel off the number of wins that he most recently was able to reel off uh, in terms of Urban Meyer. But I think this defense is going to be a fast defense that can make up for some of the mistakes that may happen with execution. That is why he's placed such a premium on size, speed, and athleticism in this draft. I got a question, JP, uh, yeah. for the scout. What, and and I've, I've read about the Ravens' defense – uh, it's the only comparison we have because you assume that it's going to have a lot of traits of the Ravens defense with Joe Cole. But just philosophically, I tell the listeners the key to making that work. Why is it effective? Is it all because you don't want because you don't know what Martindale is going to call or or is philosophically there's something there that you like about that? But uh, philosophically, they're going to be very aggressive. They can put pressure on you. And that pressure is is really directed at the quarterback. And some of it is real pressure where they bring in five and six men. Um, from various angles, and some of it is what we call simulated pressure, where you see six or seven guys milling around the line of scrimmage, but at the end of the play, 
only four guys have rushed. And what you're doing is you're playing basically a Jedi mind trick on the quarterback down after down after down. Can you guess right? Get the ball out in time and get it to the right man while we're heating you up and bringing pressure from all over the place. To do it, you need size because you got to be able to win on early downs and stop the run. You need speed because you want to be able to use your speed to impact the pocket and, and really get after the passer. And then finally, you need guys with high football IQs because if they're as multiple as the Ravens are, man, you have to be able to study, process, and be able to put it into action really quickly. And so you've got guys blitzing from all over the place. You've got every DB yeah. in the Ravens scheme blitzes. Everybody. And so you have to have, and I think we talked about it, you have to have some versatility on the second level, second and third level. Guys that were corners that are now safeties. Guys that are safeties that maybe can drop down and play linebacker. You need to have a collection of what I call athletes that you can just plug into certain places and not necessarily dub them a position, but say that anyone who plays in this spot has to be able to run this blitz and cover this tight end. And so I just wonder, can they keep it simple enough for young guys to jump in that system? That would be the big thing. Can Cullen take all of this stuff that he knows and make it very easy to digest for the young players so they can play fast and be effective? Yeah, because a guy like Tyson Campbell, JP, can play it all. Sure. He's, he, he's done it. They talked about him out. You know, he played outside. They talked about him inside. But as a rookie, can you handle it all? I guess that's what we'll find out. It's a lot. That's a lot to deal with for sure. Uh, another thing we we might not get a real good look at this time of year. This will probably come closer to training camp, preseason games, and all that. Is the versatility that you mentioned, Bucky, in the back end of the defense, but it's certainly key on the offensive side of the ball. And this time of year, you know, we didn't see any eleven on eleven work the other day. To be quite honest with you, first of all, and if we did, the rules are that you can't say personnel formations and all who's working where and all this stuff. But versatility for skilled players on offense is obviously going to be key here. Moving guys around to find those favorable matchups. Bucky Chenault, one of those guys we've seen in the past year do it. That's the idea for ETN, of course. Colin Johnson, even with his height advantage outside and Chark with that speed and and playmaking ability. Finding out where those guys match up against the defense, I don't know if they're quite there yet, but it's important for those guys to have that versatility. Yeah, it is important for everyone to be versatile in the back end. Uh, I think it really is most important for two guys because these are the two guys that I think will be featured prominently in that H-back role that we've talked about previously that went to Percy Harvin. Um, LaVisca Chenault and Travis Etienne. LaVisca Chenault, when you go back and watch him at Colorado, that's what he's always done. He was probably one of the best zone read quarterbacks that you will find coming out when he came out. Explosive, dynamic, terrific with the ball in his hands, doing a bunch of wildcat direct snaps, at Colorado, he he's a difference maker. And so when you think about his ability to line up out wide, to take this maybe the fly sweep, to maybe come in and do some wildcat stuff as a dimension to the offense. And at the end, you have another guy who potentially you put on the field with James Robinson. You have him working in the slot. Maybe he's running some passes. Maybe he's doing a bunch of different fly sweeps and screens. But it's another way to get a dangerous playmaker in space. Urban Meyer is hell-bent on putting a bunch of prominent athletes in positions where they can go make big plays. 
Etienne and LaVisca Chenault, their vis- versatility could allow them to be big playmakers this year. It'll be something to watch moving ahead as the offseason progresses. This is the Huddle Up podcast, and the Daily's Place schedule continues to grow. AEW Friday Night Dynamite coming up this Friday. Tedeschi Trucks Fireside Live, pieces of Tedeschi Trucks Band, Friday, June 11th, and Saturday, June 12th. They've been working on some new songs in the studio. We'll see if they unleash a few of those, a couple of those nights. Brad Paisley, July 8th, Blackberry Smoke, August 10th, and tickets available at dailiesplace.com. Now, we mentioned All Elite Wrestling. So I'm going to take you back to last week, last Thursday, when we had the availability to go watch practice. And then right after practice, I ended up talking with Brandon Linder right before he went on the podium to speak with the media, right? So I'm sitting there in the, in the hallway uh, chatting with Linder. And within a five-minute window, here's all, everything that happened during this interview. The team's walking off the field, so Tebow walks by and all these you know, all the players come by. Okay. That's one thing. Urban were, I asked about urban Meyer to lender and guess what? Urban Meyer happens to walk up at the same time and like stops the interview and says, have a good weekend. And they talk for a second. Okay, great. Two minutes later, Chris Jericho, the wrestler walks by in full regalia. He's getting ready to do something. They're shooting for the pay-per-view and all that. And then it ends up over the weekend. I don't know if Bucky, if you saw this, John, I'm sure you did the video clip online of Urban Meyer in a skit during the pay-per-view. Him and Charlie Strong getting after it, helping Jericho out, I guess, with, you know, some some weapons. Like, threw a couple footballs at and helped Jericho hit this guy, and then Urban gave him a laptop to sacrifice. (laughs) I liked it. I did get a chance to see the clip, Charlie Strong and Coach Meyer, how they're being a part of it. It was great. I'm trying to think uh, way, way back. 96, 97, I remember when a, a wrestling company brought their crew through, and I remember guys being able to go and have a chance to see it and the energy in the building and going back and talking about those experiences or whatever. So I think it's really cool that Irvin and Charlie Strong jump right in. They're a part of it. It just only creates more energy and optimism and enthusiasm around the program. Yeah, it's fun, and why not? I mean, it, it's a it's, uh... I think sometimes fans see this sort of thing and and they try to create something to criticize about it. And I had somebody say, well, you said all along that they wouldn't want to do hard knocks and then they do this sideshow. Why is this any different? And it's like, look, A, the difference between doing hard knocks, which is having film cameras in your offices on a daily basis and trying to get inside your mind as you're cutting the team and taking however long this took, which I'm, uh, you know, my guess is this took about as long as we saw. It's a completely different thing. There's nothing wrong with having a good time during May after, after practice. This was kind of cool. And, you know, uh, the AEW's here. Why not do it? Uh, it's fine. Why? Whoa. Hey, J- JP. Yes. Are you sure we got Jay on? Is this oh? Do we have somebody else on? Because the guy who is the king of get off my lawn, the old man. I can't believe I just heard him say it's okay to have a little fun during this time of year. Okay. <laughs> what, would, what would Vince Lombardi say, John? Yeah, like oh man. Vince Lombardi <laughs> didn't grow up in Jacksonville, Florida, 
watching Gordon Soley on the weekend. That's <laughs> that's what's up. Man. And uh, you guys don't have to know who Gordon Soley is, but he was the old <laughs> announcer for for wrestling. I grew up begging my dad to take me down to wrestling on Saturdays at the Coliseum. Never did. Yeah. Never saw it live, but uh, always had a little bit of soft spot in my heart for for wrestling. Oh, the wrestling. I'm not into yeah. it the way a lot of my peers are. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it doesn't take that much time to, you know, to do something like this. It, this isn't a big deal, much like the one who shall not be named. It's not that big of a, it's not that big of a deal to have him on the team in May. I, I didn't know a laptop could make that much noise when it hit somebody, I guess, but <laughs> it, it did the other night. This is the uh, Huddle Up podcast, J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osier, and we mentioned Brandon Linder. He's one of a couple of offensive linemen that we had a chance to catch up with this week, you know, Linder it was explaining the mentality of why all these veterans and everybody's here and, and the culture they're trying to build and all that. We, we've heard that word a lot culture over the last week, just get ready. We're going to hear it more and more moving ahead. Uh, John, you caught up with Juwan Taylor on the right side of the line for the ozone podcast this week. And, you know, when for Linder, you know, during the season, when, when things get insulated, he kind of is not, he's not as open, you know, this is the time of year to get Brandon Linder because he will, he'll give you what he not thinks and he's a good interview, right? Not he, as open. It, it, was that fair? He's the master of no. Is what he is. So, okay. Hey, Brandon, you got a minute? No. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. well I was trying in 2022. I was trying so, to be <laughs> nicer. Okay. Uh, is what it no, is. I like, I like Brandon. That kind of thing doesn't bother me. I like yeah. Brandon. He's, he doesn't really like to talk during the season, and that's fine. Yeah, that's uh, fine. This is the time of year to get him, though. But Jawan Taylor, you know, and 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 Jawan's one of those guys that this is year three for him coming up, and you had a chance to catch up with him on the podcast this week, and he's always a, an interesting conversation, John. I like him. Yeah, he is, and he he's always very open. He's the kind of guy. I used to cover a guy back in Florida named Ellis Johnson back in the day. It's been not twenty five years, and he was. He liked a couple of things. He liked to go fishing and he liked to play football. And uh, that's sort of what Juwan is. I mean, it, and that's, I asked him what he had done in the off season and, you know, pretty much he likes to fish and he went and worked out. He worked out in an offensive line Academy and in, in Dallas, I personally think uh, Juwan Taylor is, is still going to be very, very good. He got a lot of criticism last year. He's a lot of the offensive linemen got a lot of criticism last year. I kind of have a feeling that he's still going to wind up being a core player. He's going to be a guy that they have a decision on after this season because he'll be going into his fourth year next season. Uh, but for people who've never really listened to John a whole lot, I'd recommend listening to the podcast because he's, he's a good kid, uh, doesn't mind talking about what he hasn't done so far, what he still needs to do. He's very open and honest. My favorite part of the podcast was at the end, I asked him my Ozone 5, I call it, uh, the five questions. I asked him about his favorite drummer, his best drum roll. He, he's a big drummer. I asked him, what kind of music do you like that people would be surprised with? He's a big country music fan. Uh, a very well-rounded, very good guy uh, from down the road in Coco, and I think he likes playing in Jacksonville. Man, I like that. I like hearing that, John, because I'm going to go back and um, we briefly mentioned Linder and the things that came out of his conversation. I think the one thing that we talked about it uh, maybe last week. We talked about how Jacksonville can be a destination spot for players to not only live during the season, but to be a year-round place where you can train and ultimately get better. Uh, we're seeing that. But I think the, the, the common 
theme that came out when I heard Linda and some of the other players talk about is up in the ante sports performance, the nutrition, the food, uh, the facilities, the first class demands or the first class offerings that Jacksonville has kind of rolled out for the players. And in return, my respect, hey, we've given you everything. Now I need you to give us everything in return. And so that that give and take relationship between players and coach, it appears that they're already putting the foundation in place for that to be a, a relationship that really has the two things that are necessary to be in a championship team, trust and communication. And so I feel like there's a really complete buy-in. And sometimes when you have a college coach like Urban's background, you just don't know if guys are going to heed those messages that you're throwing out. You just never know until you know. They're heating. And so they far, are heating. they are heat. They are indeed. There's, there's a lot the of heating call. going on in town. But <laughs> <for that> one. <laughs> a lot of that happening right now. Uh, it is f- interesting, though, you know, hearing uh, Linder discuss everybody back on the offensive line. All five starters are back. The offensive line coach is back. The continuity of that. Because, John, I mean, there was times last year where they were criticized a lot on the offensive line. Linder was hurt a lot last year, right? They've had guys, you know, the, Taylor was struggling a little bit at times. You know, everybody's all over Norwell. And then Cam Robinson is doing his thing. Like, there, there was a lot of just criticism of that group. But everybody's mm-hmm. back. And and those guys are are glad that the continuity is there, it feels like, John. Well, there's a couple things you got to look at with that. Uh, first of all, when you have inconsistency of quarterback behind you, that makes it tough on the offensive line. And, you know, we've all talked about it. The pocket presence at the quarterback position has not been great, and that hurts the offensive line. It is also exceedingly difficult when you are not stopping the run defensively, when things are not working great. It is very hard to pass block when you are trailing by 10 or more points for three quarters of every game, which is, which is what the reality of this was. So that contributes to the offensive line. When defenses in this league know that you have to pass block all the time, you are not going to pass block very well. I don't care what level of defense you – I mean, I don't care what level of offensive line you are. No offensive line can sustain that amount of pressure throughout an entire game. I thought what you saw from the offensive line in terms of run blocking for a rookie uh, undrafted running back last year, they looked like a pretty good run blocking team to me when they were allowed to do it. It's a fascinating group because they have been together for two years. They're going into their third consecutive year, all starting together. I don't know that I've ever covered in 26, 27 years covering the league, an offensive line that has brought all three, all five starters back for a third year. That's exceedingly rare in an era of high turnover. If they don't get it done this year, if they're not good as a group, they'll never have a better chance to have done it. I think they will be because I think this line is better than people think. You know, John, when you talk about Taylor, I think it's important to lump him together with Cam Robinson because you're talking about two big physical edge blocks. Early draft picks. Early draft picks. Early draft picks. Blue chip guys. Yeah, so it's in the Jaguars' best interest for those guys to play well so you can reward them with big contracts. And not that everything goes back to the era um, of the mid-'90s, but when you think about when Coach Coughlin and this team was built and built successfully for about a five-year run, Leon Searcy, Tony Baselli, on the edges, able to control the game, not only as pass protectors, but when it was got to have it time and you need to run it, Ofred T or whoever was playing tailback knew that they could run the football. And 
there's a part of me that believes part of the maturation and development process when it comes to Trevor Lawrence will be offset due to the ability to run the football and to lean into the running game until he is ready to go from being the game manager to the playmaker. This offensive line, I would say they have to wear the big sombrero going into the season. They need to play at an A-plus level for this team to have a chance of being uh, a very competitive unit because if they can run it and control the line of scrimmage, that'll give them a chance to be in most games. Yeah, one final thing on Juwan Taylor, JP. Only guy on the roster to start the, every game the last two seasons. And guess what? When you're 6-10 and 10 and 1-15 – uh, not everybody plays every game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so things, things get nicked uh, up a little bit more. Right? Yeah. 32, uh, 32 straight games. This kid's played. I don't think he missed a snap his first year. I, I don't know if he got every snap in last year or not, but uh, I mean, this kid's a tough kid. He's taking some heat. He's taking some criticism, but I was writing before last season that I thought he DJ Chark and Josh Allen we're the core of the team moving forward. Now, there's more guys to add to that. I still think, ideally, you would have those three guys as core guys moving forward. They're good guys. They are guys that you want in the community. They are uh, guys you want around. They feel like the right kind of guys to build around to me, and I still think Jawan Taylor might be one of those guys. This is the Huddle Up podcast, and coming up later this week, we'll be back on the practice field for the open media time Thursday. John, you and I will be there. Bucky is uh, not quite coming to Jacksonville yet, but you're, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too soon. But Oh, you can let it out. Our, you let, it, let the cat out. The cat yeah, is – you're coming to Jacksonville. When? I am coming to Jacksonville. I'm coming from minicamp. I'm excited to see what it looks like on the field. So I get a chance to be right there, uh, see Coach Meyer, see all the players, to begin to put, put the pieces of the puzzle together so we can speculate and talk. And maybe I'll be able to share a couple opinions with uh, oh, uh, J.O. Oh, she may let me get some I'll stuff out. I'll have to out. be asked that week to stay yeah. off Bucky's red carpet because you know they'll have it out for him. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I was certainly – You talk about royalty certain. rolling in. Security I mean, will be I'll like, hey, Mr. Osher, stand over here. Bucky's walking in from the from the gated parking lot. Well, well, Bucky will say it too. I certainly will hope that. I can't, I can't wait to walk up. Of... Hey, Buck, what's going on? Uh, yeah, can I help you? So, <laughs> I'll get one of those. Hopefully I can have security around just to make sure that uh, my, my, my path is easy. My path is easy, unobstructed to the field, you know? And that's just <laughs> in the building. <laughs> just wait until we're out of town. Yeah, there we go. Get ready. Yeah, no, man, it should be it should be a lot of fun. I I can't remember the last time that I've actually been in the building. I told you it was when the practice fields were somewhere else. I can't remember who the head coach was, but I came down here maybe four or five years ago to do a, a network deal. But now I'm excited, man. Like, look, I'm make sure I, I read the book. I know this though. Four to six, A to B. I'm gonna be flying wherever I'm going. I'm flying. I'm going fast. Yep. I'm going in a hurry. So, That's right. so plus so, two, so Bucky. Plus, <laughs> plus two. Plus two. Above yeah. the line mentality. Oh, yes. a minus three yes. guys. Yeah. I try to yeah. give a little less and set a low bar. That yeah, doesn't fly around here anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm in the cafeteria, I'm going fast. I'm going in a straight line, and I'm going there. And I guess if I'm gonna go to the drink machine, I need to go two steps beyond the drink machine to get the drink that I want. I, I, know, I know it's something. I know it's, it's plus two, so I got to get my mind right. Yeah, got to get my mind right. I'll help you with that. <laughs> <laughs>
We'll look forward to that coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, well done today, guys. Good to talk to you as always. Bucky, we'll catch you next week. Oh, for sure, man. It should be a lot of fun. And Johnny, we'll catch you in probably just a few minutes in the hallway. because that's We'll be there. <laughs> for that's John, right. John Hosier and Bucky Brooks, I'm J.P. Shadrick. Thanks for the subscription to the official Jaguars Podcast Network on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get those podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and a comment, and we'll catch you next time on the Huddle Up Podcast.